you know Richard Fortas as the guitarist for Guns N' Roses, but he also has a long history with the Psychedelic Furs and was in Thin Lizzy, Love Split Love, The Dead Daisies, and Honky Toast. He toured with Crystal Method, BT, Enrique Iglesias, Nina, and many others. But after talking with him today, I keep picturing him as a little five-year-old playing his violin. You know, no wonder he has such a prolific music career. I spoke to him about making music in the time of COVID, his recent hit with the psychedelic furs called Made of Rain, the collaboration on Tower of Strength, and his masterclass at Sweetwater, a place we both love. He also offers some great advice to those who want to get into the music business, and he gives us a tour of his gear collection and so much more. This is a Richard Fortas that we rarely get to see. So stay tuned. It's time for another OWC Radio. It's time for OWC Radio. Tech Talk with Creatives. Conversations with host Serena Catania. This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio. I am speaking with Richard Fortas in the middle of a crazy schedule that he has. He's uh, taking a little bit of time off to talk to you guys. So we're just going to dive right in here and say, hi, Richard. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. And uh, thanks for your time. That's great. So uh, it's COVID. We're all under some kind of wrap. Where are you at the moment? And who who is quarantining with you? I'm actually at home in St. Louis, Missouri with my family. Nice. And uh, fortunately, I have a studio in my house. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm able to work. Uh, as we were just talking about, it's, uh, it's you know, a lot of my friends have, are not in that position and have not been able to work. I, I'm fortunate that I have an engineering background, um, so I'm able to engineer my own sessions and uh you know i've had a studio for you know last 25 years so it's um it's been great for me and and i'm fortunate enough to have the work coming in you know but yeah a lot of my friends are touring musicians or are studio musicians that don't do their own sessions they go to recording studios still and uh, so i'm i'm very lucky in that regard when was the last time you were on tour? Uh, my, our last show was in March as the world was closing down. I think we did, probably did the last stadium show in the world. Mm. Um, we were in Mexico City and we were just start. It was the first show of a uh, South American tour that we were, uh, that we were doing. Mm. And that was going to be about six weeks and then we went to Europe for a couple of months and then we be then we went straight to the U.S. and started the U.S. and I would have finished that tour of the U.S. yesterday so hmm. I was supposed to be gone the last six months um and the last so we did the last show in Mexico City and we were everything was canceling you know, we we knew that the rest of the South American dates were not going to happen. And we were speaking with the promoters in Mexico City. And we're like, look, you guys, this isn't this isn't safe. And they're like, no, no, there's no problems here. We're all good. Um, and 
it became a contractual thing and we sort of were in a place where we needed to do it and it, it they weren't going to cancel it, it no matter what we said mm. so it was we expected to walk out to 80,000 people in masks but it was <laughs> it was no masks so really it was a uh, yeah it was interesting you know mexico um with the new president uh, didn't want to, they made some mistakes with the last um, virus that hit and they shut things down and that that administration got a lot of bad publicity for that, um, for being, for erring on the side of caution and people didn't like that. So this administration was going to bury their head in the sand and pretend nothing was wrong. Hmm. I, I, you know, there's two sides to every coin, I guess, but, um, but they wanted to go ahead with it. So we, we did the show and then flew straight home. Oh, thank heavens for that though. Right. You know, Mexico city, is it still as polluted as it was a few years ago? I spent six months there working on a film and I actually loved it, but it's a dangerous polluted city. Yeah, it, it is. But, uh, but there is a real charm to it. Oh. I love Mexico City. Yeah, the people there. I cried when I left. I had this wonderful house I was running in Coyoacan and going out for fresh baked bread and hot chocolate in the mornings when we weren't shooting. It was yeah. great. And the people are so wonderful. They're so resilient there. They can, I don't know if you've, you got this from, you use local people on your crew, I'm assuming, in addition to the roadies that come with you, but... I found that the yes. crews in Mexico City could do anything. No matter what happened, even if something critical broke, they'd be in there. <laughs> they they would be MacGyvering it and making it work. Did you find that? It, it's that way throughout South America. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I realize it's Central America, but um, yeah, it seems like, you know, in Brazil, it's it's, it's sort of a different thing in Brazil. They will tell you, Oh yeah, we can do that. We can, we can, yeah, I can do that. I'll, uh, I've got this. Yeah. And they'll, they'll tell you they can do anything. <laughs> and, and then yeah, it's, yeah, it's a little bit of a different story, but, um, yeah, but just yeah, a little bit. Resourceful. Yeah. They were wonderful. I mean, I, I can't, I can't speak enough about the people from Mexico. They're they're uh, my, my experience was a really good one. So you came home. Yeah, I've always had great times in Mexico City. You've been there quite a bit, I'm sure. Have you been to every country in yes. the world with Guns N' Roses and Psychedelic and all the other groups you've been involved with? Just a, just about. Um, just about. Mm. You know, there's, uh, there's, there's countries in Africa I haven't been to. Mm. Um, and probably some Eastern Bloc countries. But, uh, yeah, we, I've traveled extensively i mean i think i've been to mexico city to play to play with guns since the not in this lifetime tour started um which has been five years i've probably been there five times Mm. so five or six yeah being a road warrior and now you've primarily been at home but you you jumped right into what did you first started working on were you working on the psychedelic furs album or what was your first sort of mission critical when you when the covid hit um 
I guess I, I came home and, you know, we were sort of still figuring out what was going on. Um, you know, how, how, cause we had all these tours planned mm-hmm. and, you know, everyone was sort of waiting to see what was going to happen. And, you know, I, I guess I started, I just started putting the word out that I was available for sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone sort of paused for <laughs> a month or two. And then people were like, well, we got to, we got to carry on. And a lot of people got bored and thought, okay, now I guess we're going to make a record. Um, and then, you know, doing the uh, same with, um, you know, doing ad work and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, people paused for a second and then rethought their position and then dove back in. And so, you know, I, I had been finishing things up with the psychedelic first. I think that was pretty much wrapped on my end mm-hmm. by the time I left to go out on tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, in February. So when I went out to Los Angeles to do rehearsals, so, you know, that actually, I think the record was supposed to come out originally in March and they pushed it back and, you know, they kept delaying it, uh, as a lot of record releases are. Mm, Yeah. You know, people are pushing them back because, you know, it's a different time in the music industry. You know, when I started in this business, I, we used to put out records and then you tour to support the record to help sell the record. Um, And now it's, it's sort of changed uh, 180 degrees where now you put out a record to promote a tour. Remember the heyday of the 80s when music videos were so hot? Everybody was making music videos and putting their music in films to try to promote. Everything's changed. The whole business has changed. They still want to place their, their songs in movies and TV, mm-hmm. you know, because that drives people to shows. You put it out that you wanted to do some sessions. How how are you recording those now that you're, are you going on location at all? Or are you recording it virtually from home? In your studio, and then no, I have a studio in my house, right? So I'm able to record. I'm able to do everything here. So people will send me files, mm-hmm. and I'll open them in Pro Tools, and then create a session, and then you know I'm able. To, I have a uh, a large collection of vintage gear here, and uh, guitars and amps and different musical instruments, and uh, so you know, actually, the first thing I did. I think was a session for the mission UK and they had reached out and they were doing a remake of, of one of their hit songs, um, tower of strength and mm-hmm. for a benefit as a benefit for COVID, uh, relief. And so that was one of the first sessions that I did. And I really, uh, dove into that and did, all the string arrangements that were originally done by John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin. And he had produced that original mission album. And so I re I did my version of his string themes. So that was, that took up a lot of time and I really uh, spent a lot of time um, with orchestrating and playing because, you know, I was by myself. So I played the cello and violin parts and then layered them with uh, 
with samples. Yeah, that was a fun project. Yeah, so you're probably in your studio recording this right now. Everybody always wants to ask you about your gear. I hope you don't mind. I really want our listeners who may not have heard about some of the equipment that you use. Do you mind telling us, look around and telling us what you have there and what you're using specifically? For example, what microphone are you talking to me on? Um, and oh, I'm I'm talking to you on my phone. You're, isn't that amazing? <laughs> you're on your. Are you on your iPhone? It, yeah, I'm actually on it. I have an earpiece in. But looking around. Yeah, look around. Tell me what you got there. Looking around, uh, there are. Uh, I'm in the midst. Uh, I'm right in the midst of a project, and I'm got, trying to get it out by Sunday. Uh-oh. So. I'm so, sur- and I tend to work where I'll just let things pile up around me uh, until the session's over, and then I have a minute, a chance to breathe, and then I clean out everything <laughs> and start again. So, uh, looking around, I've got tons of amplifiers. There's probably five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. There's thirteen amplifiers sitting in my control room right now. Okay, I think you just won the prize for the most amps in one small room, right? Uh, well, it's not a small well, room. But see, I have a, I have a vault that's uh, full of stuff. So oh, I pull out what I need for that particular session. Okay. And then in the next room, I have my, uh, my live room, if you will. So that's where all the recording gets done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where my mics are and uh, the, uh, the amp cabinets and combos are out there. And uh, right now, my microphone-wise, I've um, been using a mainly a, a Royer 122 and a Tab 57 with the Change Transformer. And then also a FET 47. Um, and, you know, there's a collection. There's a, a couple of Steger mics out there, um, depending on the amplifier that I'm using or uh, if I'm recording acoustics or whatever. Um, and then I don't have a proper mixing console. I have a rack of preamps. Um, 500 series mm-hmm. um, in an API lunchbox um, that are mainly Brett Avril stuff, the BAE stuff, mm-hmm. and then a couple of API pieces and some retro, um, some uh, Joe Meek stuff, a couple of LA2As, and then an amp, big Ampex preamp. Uh, so that's, yeah. And then I run Pro Tools, so I'm running an HDX rig um, with a Mac tower. And uh, that, yeah, that's pretty much it. And your your guitars, you got to talk about your guitars, too. Oh, oh, God. Okay, so <laughs> right in front of me, I've got a 1953 Les Paul, uh, 1960 ES-335 Dot Neck, a 1953 Fender Esquire, um, and then over there, we've got a Gretsch 5120. That's from 1958. Uh, Les Paul Signature, uh, 62 Jazzmaster. <laughs> um, yeah, there's probably 10 guitars. And, and you, but you've also again, used Paletti, right? Another, yeah, I do have a Paletti in here, mm-hmm. and I also have a Trussart in here. And I also have one of my signature Gretsches right here, which is uh, coming out 
in January. Nice. So, which I'm very excited about. If I asked you, White Falcon. Oh, that's I want to see that. Hopefully, you can send us pictures. That would be great. Absolutely. So, what about your pedals? Yeah. Oh God, Uh, I've got racks and racks of pedals. um, Not in the control room area, but I do have a board right in front of me with. you know, that's something that I do have to clean up daily because I'll be bringing <laughs> stuff in and out. And otherwise, it's, it makes it very difficult to walk. Right now, um, I've got an R2R uh, treble booster that I just got. And it's incredible. I'm, I'm in love with that. The Also, another important piece of gear is the Solo Dallas um, preamp that I use before amplifiers a lot. Uh, there's a Klon, there's a Vox Tone Bender, a Mark II. Uh, there's also a Mark I, um, some raw pedals, you know, that that type of stuff. You know, I, I'm just envisioning you directing people about what you want to take with you when you're on tour. You have other equipment that's already packed up in cases for when you go on tour. How do you pick your... Yeah, there's... You know, how many guitars, for okay, example, so do you travel with? There's... I think I've got about 12 in each rig. So we have two rigs, mm-hmm. touring rigs, mm-hmm. uh, for Guns N' Roses mm-hmm. that lives in Los Angeles. Um, an A rig and a B rig. So in that, I have each rig has about a dozen guitars, um, uh, three amps, um, and then a backup. So you know, usually there's four amps in total, or, or five, sorry. Um, and then, you know, yeah, identical rigs, identical racks of pedals and stuff. And so that, all that stuff, those 24 guitars and the, both, uh, racks of gear that, that lives in Los Angeles. So I have none of that here. Okay. I have to ask you this. Are you a sentimental person? <laughs> um, when it comes to gear? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, these this gear has uh, memories, right? I mean, is that why? Uh, there are some pieces that I'm attached to. Like maybe the Les Paul um, or something? Uh, there's a, uh, yeah, there are, uh, you know, there, it's more about value, mm. you know, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. There, there's always other guitars and there's always, you know, but there's nothing I'm really that, sentimentally attached to I don't think mm-hmm. um, I've had enough guitar stolen over the years to where I've sort of gotten over that oh geez really well yeah I mean and things happen on the road yeah you know trucks flip over um, there's monsoons that hit uh, there's tornadoes that happen we've had all sorts of and then there's also riots you have to contend with Mm -hmm. um so (laughs) yeah it's i'm not i don't take my vintage pieces out much anymore Mm -hmm. um i think the last vintage guitar i traveled i toured with was when i was with finn lizzie um and i took a 55 les paul jr and uh, 68 custom, Les Paul custom. Well, I tell you, the life you have lived, I want to take you back to when you were a little boy. And what did you like to do when you were like five and six years old? Did you know you wanted to? Um, 
when, yeah, you know, I, when I was five years old, I, I was playing violin. And I played violin all through, well, I mean, I still play violin. Um, but when I, I, mean, I remember being five years old and sitting in Sunday school and the teacher was going around asking everybody, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and I specifically remember, I, I remember thinking I want to be a musician and, but I didn't say that. I said whatever the kid before me said, you know, fireman or whatever. (laughs) But I, I, I distinctly remember that. Isn't it funny how sometimes the thing we want the most, we're afraid to verbalize it. I've seen a lot of people do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it opens you up, doesn't it? When did you declare it? When did you like take ownership of it? Um, I don't know that I ever did. I mean, this is a strange thing because my father instilled in me that this is a great hobby. Um, but it was always my passion. So I, I sort of, I, you know, I don't think you analytically, you sit down when you're getting ready to go to college and think, okay, what am I going to do with my life? I, I'm going to, be a musician you know that it just it did the poor career choice if you will (laughs) um i just was incredibly fortunate uh but i didn't really have a choice because i was so driven uh and so passionate about music that it it just never seemed like there was an option Mm -hmm. if that makes sense Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't remember ever, th- you know, declaring it to my parents or to the world that this is what I'm going to do. Because it was in the back of my head, my father's voice always was there saying, you know, you know, this is great. And but eventually, you know, you'll need to get <laughs> a <laughs> career and, you know, but you can do that later. And you can do that, you know, because I uh, I started going to college and um and my band sort of was becoming more and more popular and it was taking up more and more of my time to the point where I couldn't really stay doing both. So I always thought, you know, well, I'll, you know, I'll come back to it, to school if, you know, when I, when I, when I need to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just, so it was always like putting, I've always felt like I was, living on borrowed time in a way, career-wise, if that makes sense. What did your dad want you to do? I, he didn't care. It, it wasn't like he was pushing me into it. Actually, he was an accountant, but he he was part owners of a music company that made me a, a, a wholesaler that made musical instruments. They made uh, Alvarez guitars and um, Electra and crate amps and Ampeg amps and they distributed to retailers. So I grew up in that and surrounded by music. Hmm. But, you know, when I was, I fell in love with music at a very young age and it's sort of always been my passion. And you just kept doing it and, and here you are. So it just, yeah, I just, and every you know, so often I think, man, how long is this going to last? <laughs> <laughs> For a long time. you got many years to go. <laughs> You've got a long time ahead of you. It's funny. I mean, at this point, I've sort of, you know, I don't have much choice. 
(laughs) (laughs) No. I mean, looking back on all those years, I'm sure a lot of kids come up to you at concerts and they go, oh, I want to be you. I want to be a musician. What do you tell somebody who is incredibly creative, but the world is telling them no? What would you tell them to Um, keep them going? I think when when I can actually sit with somebody and talk to them, you suss out pretty quickly whether or not they have a choice in the matter. Like I said, I didn't really have a choice. Like it was just, it consumed me. Music was everything. I just breathed it. So I I didn't really have a choice and, and that is how it is, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, like I said, if you sit down and you think about, uh, realistic career paths. It doesn't make sense. The the it's such a long shot, and no matter how good you are, it, you know there is an element of luck, and you know there's also a big element of resourcefulness. I mean, being putting yourself out there, knowing how to step aside from the art of it, and and really looking at how you can exploit your talents Mm -hmm. and separating that, you know, from your creativity, you sort of create something and then you have to step back from it and go, okay, now how can I, this is what I've done or this is what I do. Now, how do I sell that? You know, how do I, how do I get attention for it? How do I get this out to people to see if they like it? You know, that's, that's the part that I think where a lot of people fall short. Yeah, and they want to know how they can make a living doing it, you know. You, you're you lucky. You, you inherited. Your DNA is, you've got both the left and the right side of the brain going, and I think, um, I, I don't know you, we're not friends, but I'm assuming that that has really been part of what's kept you going because you understand the business side and you understand the relationships that are necessary from what I'm gleaning to keep that going, but you also have this amazing creative side. I mean, you as five years old playing the violin, come on, that's a great image. I mean, what a cute but, little kid. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I think a lot of that was uh, was my parents sort of mm-hmm. giving me that opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but essentially, I mean, so many kids are given that opportunity. I mean, it's just, it's, it's what you choose to do with it, really. It's, it's, you know what I mean? It's it's really it's that passion that just consumes you, and you either love it with everything that you have, or you you know you you enjoy it and you do it as a hobby. I think both are uh, both are equally valid. So you've taught a master class at one of my favorite places, Sweetwater. Sweetwater, those guys are great, aren't they? They are. They're wonderful. It's what a great uh, setup they have there. It's amazing. And they're just so dedicated to helping anyone in the creative arts that needs any kind of equipment from them. They have one of those corporate, how do you describe it? It's just a corporate personality that says, oh, what do you need and how can I help you? So when you're teaching the master class, what's the biggest challenge for you? And also, what do the students expect to get out of it? And will you be doing another one? Um, I, I mean, I do a lot of different clinic type things, um, usually associated with, uh, the MI industry, you know, so, um, I'm promoting some 
type of gear. Um, and I'm very passionate about equipment, as you've probably gleaned. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I get that. <laughs> I enjoy I enjoy speaking about it, and I enjoy because it's it's so I'm really inspired by gear. You know, a lot of a lot of musicians are not that way. They they have their their instrument or a couple of instruments and their amplifier or their, you know, they've got their sort of setup and they're not, I'm constantly searching for new things that are going to inspire me. Just like with listening to music, I'm constantly listening to new things to, to inspire me. Um, and every guitar, every, and I, that's why I think I'm really attracted to vintage guitars. The, the, every guitar has a, has songs in it you know mm-hmm. in a way it's gonna something's gonna it's gonna bring something different out of you and different sounds inspire different songs you know or different um ideas and i i love that about gear and that's why i'm so passionate so i love being able to go out and talk to people about that and and you know what what I get from different pieces of gear. So that's, it's more like, I tend to focus more on that stuff than I do on the technical elements of music, because I don't know, it just, it seems more interesting to me. Like it, it, you know, it doesn't seem like there's much, I mean, I, I also enjoy talking about, you know, answering questions and things about my style and technique and things like that. But, uh, it, it's more interesting for me, I think, to talk about um, sort of the the step after that, which is, you know, the whether it be recording or um, or the uh, using gear. So, talk about recording and how everything that you do in post can affect what you've done when you're first recording. So can you give some tips about how to be better at that? And, and what's your, what is your process when you're going through post? Um, you know, I'm constantly learning. I feel like, you know, things I did two months ago, I want to go back and redo because I've got new, <laughs> a new <laughs> way of doing it. You know, that, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, I love that journey. I love constantly learning. And, it's, and that's what's been great about, this whole COVID thing and being home and working, you know, I've been collecting gear for the last, you know, especially over the last five years, I'm constantly buying new things. And now I come home and it's like, Oh great. Now I get to like really dig in and learn this stuff and use it. And so that's been a lot of fun. Um, And doing sessions every day, I just, you know, come downstairs and start working. And it's, uh, it's been like, I've really gotten into different miking techniques. And um, I mean, that to me, what are you talking about mixing or when you're post production to me, it it responds more to uh, video and 
No, I'm talking about mixing. You know, mixing. mixing. Sorry, I come from a okay. film background, so sometimes I'm, you know, I'm I, talking. Obviously, when I, you say post. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've worked on like over 160 movies of one sort or another. And, um, you know, you're talking about the voice that your guitars have. To me, it's those, everybody says, what's your favorite lens? Well, I don't have one. It's like, what kind of mood am I in that day? And what do I want to achieve with what I'm shooting? And I'm kind of what you're saying with your with your equipment it's is resonating totally with yeah, me. Exactly you know, you can walk into your yeah, studio. That's exact, it's exactly the same. Yeah. So you can look around. And you can say, OK, I'm in a melancholy mood or I'm feeling freaking awesome or I'm like going to change the world. Or And then you pick up that guitar. I'm putting words in your mouth which I shouldn't do, but right. this is my no, imagination no, going. Mean, you look at the job ahead of you. <laughs> yeah. You sort of assess the job ahead of you for yeah. the day, and you think, okay, how am I going to approach this? And I know before I come into my studio, I know I have an idea of where I want to go and how I want to attack it. Um, so today, for instance, I'm do, I've got to create this, theme in this in this one song so i'm i'm thinking about uh sort of a lyrical quality and what amps i'm going to pull to uh and what guitars i'm going to use to get there you know that that are going to sort of get me on my way you know to creating that yeah kind of match Um, your internal symphony right yeah and it's i would imagine it would be the same with choosing a lens Mm -hmm. you know and how that's going to bring out different it's going to inspire you to see things a certain way. When you're writing your music, um, you know, everybody has sort of a different process. I know for me, if I'm writing a script, sometimes I get stuck or I know I have to create, I have a scene I want to write and I'll just sometimes sleep on it, but then I'll get up in the morning and I literally have to run to the computer um, to get those words out. because it's all clear. Do you do that with your music too? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. It's it's a very similar thing. Hmm. And uh, that's a great feeling. Oh, (laughs) yeah. And I cherish those moments (laughs) because when you wake up and you're staring at a blank page, that's the worst, (laughs) you know, and and you have no idea. You know, that's, yeah, it's daunting. You know, it's, it's hard to, to stare at a blank canvas. Yeah, but you have to, sometimes you have to take a step back and then trust that the flow is going to come, you know? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But sometimes you're not granted those luxuries, you know? Sometimes you're not granted those luxuries and you have to create something. And sometimes that's the best thing, you know? Being forced to create, it's like, okay, I can't... I have to finish this today. Like, I don't have a choice. There's people waiting on me. It <laughs> forces you to get something done. Yeah. And, and that's, and a lot of times, some of my favorite things happen in that way. Like, you just have to hunker down and you have to say, I don't have any choice. This is coming out. And then in the middle of all of it, you have this strange woman from OWC Radio that wants to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. And, you know, <laughs> No, 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 no. It's good. I, you know, this whole week has been that. It's like every day has been another uh, 12, you know, like at the same time around, you know, I'll have a different interview. So I'm sorry. Uh, 
No, I'm no, not sorry. No, I'm glad we're talking. All part of it. <laughs> but I am going to yeah. send I'm going to send yeah, the creative angels over to you today so that that whatever you're doing is just going to absolutely just rock it. You know, you're going to get it done. Yeah, thank um, you. You know, um, man, you know, I'm I, I was really anxious you because I, I am and to do anything for OWC because they've uh, their support has been wonderful like just I love their uh, I love their drives I love their products it's it and it's um, it's nice to have what I love about them is their support like yeah when I need help with something they're uh, they're they've been really great to me and helping me in situations where I needed something right away oh. and they they were really uh, great to get me walk me through things well they they have great customer service so what are you using their raids for storage are you traveling with some of their yeah. tra- do you use the travel dock at all or like the I docks do, i i, tr- I tra- no i don't have a travel dock um i have those smaller drives that fit in my like the envoy pro computer backpack yeah like the envoy the envoy pro exactly. are, are you using like yeah. a mac i using a mac laptop Yes. Oh, we got to get you a travel dock. The travel dock is like that would be. Oh my God! It's tiny. It's they're, they're like they're they're really. They have a SD card slot. They've got a couple of USB slots. They've got HDMI, and they've got Thunderbolt three all oh, in one God. tiny little thing. Uh, smaller than the Envoy Pro, actually. And and I can't go anywhere without it because I work on a on a MacBook Pro when I'm traveling. And you know yeah, what a pain yeah, it is because you can't plug uh, if you've got if you've got like something that needs to have a USB or an HDMI connection. How do you do that with a MacBook Pro? This we're going to get you a travel dock. I'll, we'll talk right offline. On. They're they're cute little things. You're going to love it. Um, yeah. So oh, wow. so thank That's you. Great. I love the Envoy. I mean, to me, it's been great. Um, but the RAID uh, that I have in my studio, mm-hmm. that system is incredible because i i have worked with these really large um sample libraries mm-hmm. of uh orchestral for orchestral things right and uh man it's it's just been a lifesaver yeah like that was a total game changer for me and that's why i feel indebted to owc because they uh um when i bought that raid system they they were great with getting me going on like i said the support has been great yeah i bought their thunder bay eight um because you know storage storage is a problem when you've got as many media files yeah. as we do it's crazy but you also need reliability yeah. so yeah i bought their thunder reliability Bay reliability and speed yeah oh gosh they're screamers they're screamers i mean every time i travel it would take me overnight to move media onto whatever i was taking with me and now yep. it yep. just it's crazy fast crazy fast Really reliable. That's wonderful. Well, I'm going to pass that along to them. And uh, Larry O'Connor, who oh, owns yeah, the company, do. is going to be really, really happy. I wanted to congratulate you, too. He's on... wonderful. I met him at the NAMM show. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Larry. he is. He's a great guy. He's um has a brilliant mind. Um, really, he's the kind of person that that you, when you first meet him, you're struck by how nice he is. Uh, first time I met him was in Austin. I believe at uh, what's the festival the the um, city limits fest ACL Austin city limits that big festival uh, and his family came out oh 
Nice. That was great. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. What, what did you want to congratulate me on? Well, um, Made of Rain, for one thing. I mean, that that was pretty. Oh, <laughs> right on. Yeah, that I'm really, uh, that was a labor of love for me. And I'm really happy that, you know, because I've been involved with the Psychedelic First for so many years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were, I saw, saw them for the first time when I was 15. And they were always one of my favorite bands. And then my first band toured uh, supporting them in the U.S. And I became friendly with them and started playing with them for a few songs because they found out that I played violin and cello and I started playing, sitting in with them every night. And then at the end of that tour, Richard had asked, the singer had asked me to come to New York to work with him on a solo album that he was going to do. And that became Love Spit Love which was a band I did with him. And it was the two of us when we did two albums and then started the furs back up. And then I joined guns and roses and, uh, first continued. And so this is, uh, the first album they've put out in like a first full studio album in like 28 years. I mean, it's all over the charts. Yeah, it's doing really well. Yeah. And I'm really happy for them. Yeah. And I'm really, uh, it's something I'm very proud of. Well, you should, you should be. put a lot of work into it. You should be. So, Thank you. Um, any parting words for people who are feeling a little down about, I mean, you know, their creativity or their work during this time of COVID? You seem to be really genuinely thriving even though it's got to be a whole different life from thousands of people in the audience to at home with your family but what do you tell people to keep them going in this difficult time you know i think now is the time to to really focus on things that you wanted to focus on that you've been thinking you know one day i'm going to you know go back to school or i'm going to you know take online classes and learn um, orchestration or I'm going to learn pro tools or I'm going to, you know, and I think that's something that you can really use this time for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know that I've been doing that. You know, I've really been studying um, orchestration and getting into uh, diving into that world. Um, but fortunately I've, I've been, you know, I've been trying to do that, but I've also, I've been uh, really doing a lot of session work. And so I'm, you know, I'm really grateful that I have that. And uh, I think that's, that's what you could, you need to use this time for. Mm-hmm. So you're, you know, if you're a touring musician, you're a father, you're a husband. What do you, do you ever think about your legacy? Like, what do you want to leave behind you? What would you say to your family uh, that would be most important for you in your life before you leave? And I know you've got a lot of years to go, but somehow I like oh, kind of thinking about that uh, once in a while. You know, what's our legacy? What is your uh, legacy? You know, I never really think about my legacy. I, you know, all I think about is wanting my kids to do better than I have done. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I want them to do, uh, and, and not that I haven't done well. I, I'm you know, I, you just want your kids, you want the next generation to be that much better. Don't you? And so I think, uh, and that's not just not talking financially as much as just, uh, as humans, you know, 
I want my kids to be the biggest asset to society that they can be. And, you know, I think, uh, influence the world in a very positive way. That's nice. And so far, I think I've done well. <laughs> They're on course. You Oh, that's wonderful. Well, course. there's a reason why you survived that awful crash in 2015. You still have a lot more work to do and a lot of things to, to give to the world. Um, I wish you all the best. I am going to send the Creative Angels over there today. And I promised you that we wouldn't Thank take you. too long on this. So what I will say is maybe we could do this again in a year or two and look back on what you've done since we talked today. How about that? That sounds wonderful. <laughs> All right. Well, it was nice to meet you. I really, it, was, it was a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> you too. Thanks for taking the time. And best of luck to you. That was Richard Fortas of Guns N' Roses, Psychedelic Furs, an amazing musician creating work for a lot of people in the world and and raising our hopes for a great future here during COVID. Thanks, Richard. You have a wonderful day. And everybody, remember what I always tell you, get up off your chair and go do something wonderful today. This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio. I'm signing off. <laughs>